Welcome to Recovering My Inner Child. My name is Kawan Saluja. Our first reading comes from Melody Beatty's The Language of Letting Go, the topic, denial. Denial is fertile breeding ground for the behaviors we call codependent. Controlling, focusing on others, and neglecting ourselves. Wow, slow down there. Three things, controlling, focusing on others, and neglecting ourselves. Wow, and that would make sense, right? Focusing on others and then neglecting ourselves. Um, illness and compulsive or addictive behaviors can emerge during denial. Denial can be confusing because it resembles sleeping. We're not really aware we're doing it until we're done doing it. Wow, it's like being in a trance almost. Forcing ourselves or anyone else to face the truth usually doesn't help, particularly as an adult. I feel like adults are very ingrained in their plan, and I've just never seen that many people older change without tragedy or without the 12 steps. So um, as painful as some of the changes can be, for me, the easier, softer way is the 12 steps. Back to the reading. We won't face the facts until we are ready, pain. Neither, it seems, will anyone else. We may admit to the truth for a moment, but we won't let ourselves know what we know until we feel safe, secure, and prepared enough to deal and cope with it. You know, recovery is a daily thing and one of the daily things is putting self-care putting self you know first particularly in a family thing because the codependence you know in my case would you know involves in our relationships and i think part of isolation is realizing that on some level a part of me knew i was codependent and would like lose myself back to the reading talking to friends who know love support encourage and affirm us helps being gentle loving and affirming with ourselves helps Asking ourselves and our higher power to guide us into and through change helps. The first step toward acceptance is denial. The first step toward moving through denial is accepting the way we may be in denial and then gently allowing ourselves to move through. Yeah, I was commenting on this. I think on some level I haven't really accepted my, you know, my dad's alcoholism. And uh, that is denial or mine at times. Back to the reading. God, help me feel safe and secure enough today to accept what I need to accept. The next reading comes from Melody's Language of Letting Go. I got ahead of myself because I saw the topic. Topic, the grief process. To let ourselves wholly grieve our losses is how we surrender to the process of life and recovery. Repeating that. To let ourselves wholly grieve our losses is how we surrender to the process of life and recovery. Some experts like Patrick Carnes call the 12 steps a program for dealing with our losses, a program for dealing with our grief. How do we grieve? I think one step for me is writing. Awkwardly, imperf imperfectly, usually with a great deal of resistance, often with anger and attempts to negotiate, ultimately by surrendering to the pain, you know, the pain of what I got. You know, and it doesn't have to be rationalized by what, sorry, what I didn't get interesting that I would make that uh, Freudian slip, I guess. But really the pain of what I may not, not have got through the course of emotional neglect. Back to the reading. And I want to emphasize, like, I want to be, keep, you know, as Pia Melody talks about accountability versus blame. You know, I've heard that. If you blame, you remain. If you praise, you're raised. I don't know about the praise necessarily, but definitely be, to be accountable. It's like that book written by the founder of the Hoffman process called, I think it's everybody's fault and nobody's to blame. 
Back to the reading. Although this five-step process looks tidy on paper, it is not tidy in life. We do not move through it in a compartmentalized manner. We usually flounder through kicking and screaming with much back and forth movement until we reach that peaceful state called acceptance. When we talk about unfinished business from our past, we are usually referring to losses about which we have not completed grieving. We're talking about being stuck somewhere in the grief process. Usually for adult children in codependence, the place where we become stuck is denial. Passing through denial is the first and most dangerous stage of great grieving, but it is also the first step toward acceptance. We can le learn to understand the grief process and how it applies to recovery. Even good changes in recovery can bring loss and consequently grief. We can learn to help others and ourselves by understanding and becoming familiar with the, this process. Probably also finding people, you know, people in the uh, helping professions, whether it's coaching or psychology, who understand grief. We can learn to fully grieve our losses, feel our pain, accept and forgive, so we really can feel joy and love. Today, God, help me open myself to the process of grieving my losses. Help me allow myself to flow through the grief process, accepting all the stages so I might achieve peace and acceptance in my life. Help me learn to be gentle with others and myself while we go through this very human process of healing. And now we move to strengthening my recovery from ACA. The topic, step 11. Sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understand God, praying only for knowledge to carry of God's will for us and the power to carry that out. In ACA, we begin to get in touch with a loving, higher power that some of us choose to call God. And it should be, I think sometimes people call higher power HP. I'm just seeing for the first time, maybe it's LHP, not left-handed pitcher, but loving higher power. Because I think sometimes that anthropomorphizing of, you know, just some goddess, some superior man, you know, similar to authority figures is not a loving higher power. A loving higher power is someone I could make mistakes with, learn, forgive, and move on. Back to the reading. In ACA, we begin to get in touch with a loving higher power that some of us choose to call God. We realize we have an inner compass that is steering us, and we are not alone. That still small inner voice that got me to the rooms on my own. As we continue to pray and meditate, we often find that the image of our higher power changes. This is okay. It is a normal part of growth. We are changing, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly, but we are always striving to move forward, seeking what is right for us. We no longer struggle or fight when we get confused. When we are looking for answers, we stop and smell the roses until they come naturally. We don't let others throw us off. We no longer allow our dysfunctional families to control what we think and say about ourselves and our lives. Our spiritual path does not need to match anyone else's. We pray for our own knowledge, not the answers for anyone else. This is something that my sponsor has continued to emphasize. What is healthy for me, not right or wrong. And what's healthy for me is to live in a hot place like Austin. Back to the reading. As we continue to pray, we find that our, as we continue to pray and meditate, we often find that the image of our higher power changes. This is okay. It is a normal part of growth. We are slowly changing, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly, but we're always striving to move forward, seeking what is right for us. We no longer struggle or fight when we get confused. 
When we are looking for answers, we stop and smell the roses until they come naturally. We don't let others throw us off. We no longer allow our dysfunctional families to control what we think and say about ourselves and our lives. Our spiritual path does not need to match anyone else's. We pray for our own knowledge, not the answers for anyone else. If we truly listen, we see that our inner children, I've got to talk to my inner children, not just the 12-year-old or 8-year-old, but also the 16-year-old, 22-year-old. If we truly listen, we see that our inner children are steering us closer to our higher power as they ask to be nurtured and loved. With guidance, we are choosing the next right thing to do for ourselves. On this day, I reach out to the source that is always there when I'm open to listening, even if I don't have a specific definition of my beliefs. And the final reading comes from ACA Strengthening My Recovery. The topic is patience. Another stumbling block involves taking on too much program work at once. Some members who smoke, overeat, and act out sexually might attempt to address all of the conditions at once. For these ACA members, we suggest two program slogans, easy does it, and first things first. And it's just funny, first things first, and begin with an end in mind. I was reading in Covey's book that is based on spiritual principles, talks about being proactive, but I think beginning with an end in mind and first things first enables me to be proactive. So those first three habits of seven highly effective habits are kind of in a order that is not right for me, you know, going back to that and then easy does it. And I will say that Zoom has been unbelievable to make connections around the world, you know, with all the proliferation of meetings, but it can also be in a way that for me personally, I've used to, you know, kind of stay in that like, you know, work and, you know, struggle mode, you know, by adding more programs, et cetera. Back to the reading. When we first decided to attend an ACA meeting, we entered the, these rooms alone, scared, angry, or exhausted. We knew we needed to do something, but we didn't know what. That's why we came here. Many of us were looking for ways to change the people in our lives, and we wanted to change them now. We learned that our family of origin issues and failed relationships didn't happen overnight. We don't need to read every self-help book this week or hand the laundry list to everybody we know. Yeah, it's like, oh, I'm a trauma. This is, I do this, 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 this. Yeah, I think some people don't care. If we really want to trust that the program is going to work for us, we learn to follow in the footsteps of those who came before us to slow down and take it easy. We relax and take it easy. We don't struggle. We learn how we take care of ourselves by attending meetings. We pray for the courage to ask someone to be our sponsor or fellow traveler who will help us work the steps. We stop complicating, analyzing, and debating. Complicating, analyzing. We learn to keep the focus on ourselves and keep it simple. Good, orderly direction. God. On this day, I will remember to be kind to myself and use our slogans, especially first things first, easy does it, and keep it simple. They will help me stay grounded. Sometimes this podcast does. And that concludes today's readings of Recovering My Inner Child. Until next time, this is Kawan Saluja reminding me to listen to that still, small, inner voice, that compass that guides me from within, and to trust. Welcome to Recovering My Inner Child. My name is Kawan Saluja. Our first reading comes from strengthening my recovery today, and the topic is choices. We are changing. We are beginning to see that we have choices. Big Red Book, page 578. You know, I heard early um, 
and one of my programs that the steps give you the power of choice. And I didn't know what the choice was from. And in my case, the choice was from being a victim. And uh, we'll get to Melody Beatty's uh, readings later, but I remember Melody Beatty saying, we were victimized, but we're not victims. Um, also reminds me in some ways of Pia Melody who said, we can't blame, but we can keep people accountable. Back to the reading. Many of us used to think that making important choices was reserved for those who knew what they were doing, but that wasn't us. We almost fainted at the prospect of trusting our own intuition about what direction we should take in life. We felt we needed the help of others who were obviously more qualified. We had no faith in our ability to be independent. Yeah, definitely lost that faith. And it didn't matter how many times people would say, um, you know, I had a friend, Ed, who was just like, "Why? you think everybody has it figured out. We're all just guessing. And, you know, I guess I just dissociated from listening for a long period of time because I do notice that I can listen when, um, you know, I guess I'm not in an emotional flashback. Um, back to the reading. As we become true partners in a recovery with our higher power, we see that we are actually capable of judging what is best for ourselves. We learn to pray and meditate, step 11, and allow the answers to come naturally as we create space to hear in a new way. We walk forward fearlessly, knowing also that we may make mistakes, but that mistakes can become important lessons that lead to greater freedom and self-esteem and learning. You know, I could read the book Mindset by Carol Dweck. She talks about the difference between growth mindset and a fixed mindset without the steps I would have a fixed mindset like, and I try to change that, but with the steps and with a power greater than myself, which could be a variety of things, um, I'm shifting into the growth mindset. Back to the reading. Our problems when faced can guide us to a better place when we were no longer doubt ourselves. We find that the creativity that comes from exploration nurtures our souls and helps us live more fully. We're finally happy being ourselves and would not trade our lives with anyone else. On this day, I will trust in my ability to make the right choices for myself, and I no longer depend on others to give me all the answers. If I need a sounding board, I have my higher power and fellow travelers. We're there when I ask for them. And I think that's the thing is a lot of times, even now, I'm like, oh, what should I do? Whereas I think what I really need is a sounding board. Um, great reading. God, I love um, you know, I plan to, uh, do more podcasts, uh, you know, up the frequency, um, next year, because these readings are just unbelievable. And I've found some other great sources. The next one is the next reading also comes from ACA strengthening my recovery. The topic is mistakes. Most of us agonize over mistakes because we internalize the error, right? I make a mistake. It's not, I made a mistake. I'm bad. I can't do this. I'm missing, there's something defective, et cetera, et cetera. Back to the reading. When we were kids, which is all bullshit. Um, and I'm just telling my inner critics, all bullshit. Back to the reading. When we were kids, making a mistake meant being verbally and often physically abused. Our mistakes provoked over-the-top reactions from the adults around us. We did not have the tools to understand that we were doing just what kids and people in general do, make mistakes. But instead, we heard shaming comments like, what's the matter with you? Are you stupid? Are you an idiot? Or you should have known better. Look what you did. 
And on top of that, many of us were spanked, slapped, or beaten as well. It seemed like the end of the world when this happened. The mistake could never be undone. Part of the result was that the more it happened, the better we got at shaming ourselves. Now it's just for little things. Um, everything doesn't matter equally. And you know, there's no mistake I've made in the last, you know, since recovery that comes remotely close to any of the things that happened when I was in active addiction. Back to the reading. Part of the result was that the more it happened, the better we got at shaming ourselves. We no longer needed to hear it from someone else because those messages had become internalized. We carried this self-saving behavior into our adult lives and many of us became merciless in the way we treated ourselves. In ACA, we learned to gradually reprogram those inner critical parent messages and understand that making mistakes is part of being human. We all do it. When we make a mistake, we talk about it, examine the nature of what we did, forgive ourselves, make amends when appropriate, and move on. We begin to think and act like true adults. On this day, I understand that when I make a mistake, I don't have to perpetuate my childhood abuse by beating myself up. I will call someone and process what happened and then move on. Instead of something that can haunt me for years or decades, it could be something that could be diminished and learned from in a couple days. That is the gift of the rooms. The next reading comes from Melody Vades, The Language of Letting Go. And the topic is beliefs about money. Woo. I was starting a new job for a corporation. I was good at what I did for a living. The personnel manager and I were down to the details of employment. And he asked me how much money I believed I deserved. I thought about it and it came up with a figure of 400 a month. This was back in the 60s. I didn't want to ask for two months. So I decided to ask for the smallest amount I could live with. This reminds me of the crumaholic. He hired me and gave me what I asked for. Later on, when I left that job, the personnel manager told me he'd been willing to pay me whatever I wanted. Had I asked for 600 or 700 a month, which was a tremendous salary at the time, I would have gotten it. I'd limited myself, but what I believed I deserved. That's so true. And I have to realize that what I think I deserve, I probably deserve 20 to 40% more. Not even talking financially. Back to the reading. What are our beliefs about money? Do we believe that money is evil and wrong? Money is neither. It is a commodity on earth. Necessity. It is what people need to purchase many of their basic needs, as well as luxuries and treats. It is one way that they're rewarded for their work. Loving money, however, can be as self-defeating as loving any other commodity. We can become obsessed with money. We can use it as an escape from relationships and feelings. We can use it compulsively to gain a temporary sense of power. Money is simply money. I've got to repeat that. Loving money, however, or being afraid of it, can be as self-defeating as loving any other commodity. We can be obsessed with money. We can use it as an escape. We can use it compulsively to gain, and I like this word, temporary sense of power. Do we believe there's a scarcity of money? Many of us grew up with deprived thinking concerning money. This was one of the biggest things of growing up in a dysfunctional childhood. Everything was about money. You know, how much does it cost? How much does it cost? It was like, at a certain point, I didn't want to kind of do that and you know, um, you know, there's a term prosperous, prosperity, not here for mediocrity, not here for survival, here for prospering and thriving and uh, had no chance unless I, you know, do this program one day at a time. Back and speaking for me, there's not enough. There will never be enough. If we get a little, we may guard it and hoard it because there's no more. Yeah, that it's home. Money's not in short supply. That's for sure. I'm starting to realize we do not have to waste our energy resenting those who have enough. You can't have what you resent. 
There's plenty of money here on earth. How much do we believe we deserve? Many of us are limiting ourselves by what we believe we deserve. Money's not evil. There is no scarcity except in our mind and attitudes. And what we believe we deserve will be about what we shall receive. We can change our beliefs through affirmations, by setting goals, by starting where we are, and working slowly forward to where we want to be. Today, I will examine my beliefs about money. I will begin the process of letting go of any self-defeating beliefs that may be limiting or blocking the financial part of my life. And I think if there's one thing I want to commit to this week, it is affirmations. Um, it's really important, and I've been helped mostly by books that are written by you know, people who are either have addictions or Buddhists. The self-help community with all their crap doesn't really help me. The next, the final subject, the topic is also for Melody Beatty's The Language of Letting Go. Topic, accepting love. Many of us have worked too hard to make relationships work. Sometimes those relationships didn't have a chance because the other person was unavailable or refused to participate. To compensate for the other person's unavailability, we work too hard, right? We, we don't struggle, we relax and we take it easy. We may have done all or most of the work. This may mask the situation for a while, but we usually get tired. Then we stop doing all the work. We notice there is no relationship or we're so tired we don't care. Doing all the work in a relationship is not loving, giving, or caring. It is self-defeating and relationship-defeating. It creates the illusion of a relationship when, in fact, there may be no relationship. It enables the other person to be irresponsible for his or her share. Because that does not meet our needs, we ultimately feel victimized. In our best relationships, we all have temporary periods where one person participates more than the other. This is normal, but as a permanent way of participating in relationships, it leaves us feeling tired, worn out, needy, and angry. We can learn to participate a reasonable amount and then let the relationship find its own life. Are we doing all the calling? Are we doing all the initiating? Are we doing all the giving or taking? Are we the ones talking about the feelings and striving for intimacy? Are we doing all the waiting, the hoping, and the work? We can let go. If the relationship is meant to be, it will be, and it will be, become what it is meant to be. We do not help that process by trying to control it. We do not help the other person, the relationship, or ourselves by trying to force it or doing all the work. I think this also applies very much to family relationships. Back to the reading. Let it be. Wait and see. Stop worrying about making it happen. Yeah, when, when I'm trying to make something happen, it doesn't usually work. When I'm trying to do my best and let go, um, I have a serenity I can never have, even if I got, even if I made happen what I wanted to. Back to the reading. See what happens and strive to understand if that is what you want. Today, I will stop doing all the work in my relationships. I will give myself and the other person the gift of requiring both people to participate. I will accept the natural level my relationships reach when I do my share and allow the other person to choose what his or her share will be. I can trust my relationships to reach their own level. I do not have to do all the work. I need only to do my share. And that concludes today's readings for strengthening my recovery. This is Kowan Saluja reminding myself that the steps give me the power of choice from being a victim to being empowered. To pause, because that's where God is, and there is no healing without feeling and processing.